This is The Shift Podcast. Thanks for checking out The Shift Weekend Podcast with John Jang. On this episode, we connect with Steve Stebbing asking the question, why do video games that get turned into movies always turn out terribly? Then the Big Jang theory on the NHL's outdoor games and the fact that, hey, it's completely overdone. A conversation regarding the Federal Assault Rifle Buyback Program, Are You OKs? And another edition of Learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo. Let's connect now with our friend Steve Stebbing. He is our national film uh, critic, really. He's our movie connoisseur, and you know him. He's a regular on the program with Shane Hewitt throughout the week. Uh, Steve, appreciate you joining us tonight and uh, getting a chance so that we can talk about why these movies uh, made from video games turn out so horribly. Yeah, you know, and it is sad, too, because, uh, I mean, the the list of bad ones eclipses the good ones, there are like diamonds in the rough that we forget about because the general trope is that these moves are bad. Right. And I mean, I, to be honest, uh, regarding that point, I can't think of a good video game that got turned into a movie. Like, do you have a list of that available? Like, it's got to be a pretty short list if there is uh, one. I mean, yeah, it's generally kind of short. And I, I think it also you have to take into context if you we're a fan of the game going into it. Like I always bring up uh, silent Hill, which I think is right. Like not only is it uh, like a, a good movie, but it's such a good and, and, and adaptation that takes all the atmosphere and all the things that make the video game so creepy and, and so uh, addictive and, and applies it directly to the movie. And I think that one gets lost in the shuffle quite a bit. And I mean, maybe this was because I was 14 years old at the time, but when the original adaptation of uh, Mortal Kombat came out from uh, Paul W.S. Anderson in 1995, I saw that baby like four times in theaters, man. <laughs> I was all about that. And I mean, I bumped the soundtrack like oh, yeah. constantly. Uh, I mean, and even, I mean, Annihilation is a terrible movie, like yes. a terrible, terrible, terrible yeah. sequel. But. I mean, I'm a soundtrack kid, so I definitely own that one, too. Yeah, I mean, like, the the original Mortal Kombat video games have a solid mm-hmm. soundtrack, too, like that iconic theme song. But then the movie that you're talking about, uh, the one from the mid-'90s, the soundtrack was honestly pretty good. Uh, I got to give it points there. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right, too. The immediate sequel, Annihilation, was uh, <laughs> regrettable. We'll put it that way. And, yeah, and, it, and, and it's, it's funny, too, because, like, when we think of some of the more iconic video game franchises, uh, mm-hmm. think of, like, if I ask you what is the most iconic video game character in the world, Super Mario has to be pretty much <laughs> near the top of the list. And yet the Absolutely. one time, the one time they tried to make a Mario movie, that thing is a shame. It is a great yeah. shame on the Mario name. Yeah, yeah I mean, and it's a bunch of uh, producers knowing that uh, the Super Mario thing is popular, but they don't really understand what the story is that they're making. And then all of a sudden the actors are losing faith in the thing that they're making because they know that nobody knows what they're doing. Hmm. So both Bob Hoskins and, and uh, uh, John Lucuzamo were just, just pissed drunk on the set. Constantly. <laughs> just constantly. And then you have Dennis Hopper, who was all, I mean, Dennis Hopper, had his demons and uh, it seems like a movie per decade that he was saying uh this is the worst movie that i've ever done Mm. and uh super mario brothers is definitely on the list of the worst movies that he's ever done right and and so i I guess the question here is why does this keep happening why do movie studios film studios struggle so much to adapt successful video game franchises into feature film productions because to me it seems like it should be easier than doing a book adaptation because you already have visual context of what characters and what the setting should look like. You have the crowdsource or not the crowdsource. You have the fundamental content right there in front of you. It should be, I mean, theoretically easier to turn that into a successful movie. You just have to stay pretty true to the story and the context of those video games that people fell in love with in the first place. I think what the biggest problem is when you come into stuff like that is too many cooks in the kitchen, um, uh, different interpretations, or I think that this should go in this direction, whether it be 
director's di- director's vision, uh, writer's vision, uh, the studio, uh, the video game, pr- uh, you know, production company that sold the rights to this, but still has kind of uh, executive producer rights to it. Uh, I mean, it, it's failed so many different movies or shifted so many different movies mm. uh, direction. Like Resident Evil changed from a creepy mansion zombie thing to this sci-fi high-tech a high octane Mila Jovovich vehicle yeah. that it never was intended to be, or something like Warcraft, which came out, you know, probably about six, seven years ago now, which was just a uh, Duncan Jones who directed it has such a huge vision of it being a massive fan of the game, but Universal had a more condensed feeling about it and they wanted to appeal to more markets, namely the Chinese market and everything. So of course, uh, you know, direction and, and overhead change and they don't look at it as story art. They look at it as a money vehicle more mm. than anything. And I think that's the biggest problem. Right. Because uh, video game, especially though, like the fans of a particular video game franchise or company, they go into those movies, at least in the past with a ton of hope and a ton of expectations because yeah. the movies are, applicable to everyone whereas video games not everybody plays you know playstation 3 or xbox or whatever console that game was on but anyone and everyone can watch a movie so when they go into those films and then they see what the movie studios have done to their beloved main characters their heroes or even their favorite villains uh, they leave most often than not disappointed and swearing that they'll never do this again they'll never get their hopes up and buy uh, a ticket to a movie because they know nothing but disappointment waits for them but you know what john we do we do still buy the next ticket <laughs> we still line up to see bloodshot we still line up to see you know what i mean like we'll still go see tomb raider no matter how many times it is <laughs> you know what i mean and and like i don't mind the last one but I mean, if you just put it as an adventure movie, it's kind of middle of the road, you mm. know what I mean? So it's like, uh, they feel, at the end of the day, they feel soulless. And I think that there's more investment when it comes to a video game adaptation because I feel like, especially as a gamer that's going to see a movie based on a property that they've been playing, they have so much more invested in it. They have so many more man hours uh, invested in it. I'm wondering if, like, is the right way to make a video game movie is to just let the video game studio handle that? Like, I think back to uh, Square Enix and what they did mm-hmm. with Final Fantasy Advent Children. Yeah. Um, and, and for the most part, I, I haven't found a lot of people who have too many issues with that particular production. And I, th- I feel like they did it the right way, right? They didn't have yeah. to bring in live actors. They did it completely CGI. They used the original characters from the story. So really, it, it wasn't like they had to go and find, like, well, who's the hottest uh, current Hollywood star to, to play the lead role? They just kind of stuck to the script. And you got to remember that that came out after a bankruptcy from their film division as well, because right. Square Enix and Sony had teamed up for Final Fantasy of the Spirits Within, which uh, was a completely new story kind of set within that that world that uh, honestly I thought was uh, a, a fantastic movie. I really enjoyed that one. It was actually one of the first DVDs I ever bought. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the fact that Square uh, had a stake in it, uh, they were they were developing the entire movie. They were doing the animation pieces of it. So it felt more authentic towards uh, what fans wanted to see. And yeah, maybe if Capcom jumped in the ring with a more hands-on approach to a Street Fighter movie, or then we wouldn't have something like the Legend of Chun-Li movie with Christian Crook that came mm. out and stunk up theaters. Right. And again, it takes us back to the risks involved with movie studios, and then contrasting that with movie studios also thinking, oh, this is an easy way to cash in on the box office. Because, you know, as bad as Resident Evil is for those that love the video game franchise, the movies did rake in a ton of money, which is why they kept making them. And uh, it it blemishes, again, what video game fans love about uh, the actual games itself is that the original content never really looks like what you see on the screen. And and so casual fans who have never heard of Resident Evil, they go into it and they're like, oh, this was kind of fun. Whereas that passionate fan is like, I can't believe this is what's happening. What is going on with this world? Uh, exactly. And I mean, we already just saw like the modern backlash and stuff like that 
with the fiasco in, in the last couple of years with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh, when yeah. that first trailer came out, the character design, people were horrified by the character design. And honestly, it did look a little freaky. His teeth look weird. And there's just, there's so much wrong with his legs and stuff. Like, there was just, like, stuff that was wrong. And so that low bar and that, like, that feeling continued all the way up until they released the movie. And when I brought, I, I went to the movie, I brought my daughter. And I actually really liked it honestly i think Sonic the hedgehog is one of another one of those rare ones and it was such a dicey one because we talked about mario already so beloved sonic is up in that echelon as well so you better not uh screw this up you know well you know when we're talking about beloved characters from uh like the nintendo side of things Mm -hmm. i've noticed like i I was trying to do a little bit of research going into this conversation i couldn't find any trace of like a legend of zelda movie and i wonder if that's done purposely because they've looked at other failed examples and they've thought no there's no way we're going to tarnish this franchise well i think there was about about four or five years ago there was dancing around the ideas that netflix was going to do some sort of live action uh, legend of zelda uh, adaptation but it just never came to came to fruition the nintendo just balked at the idea i think there's just a lot of licensing and stuff that just seemed very daunting for for both to to share profits out of and again it comes down to the financial and who can make the most money off it and who you know who can get stifled for the most money and and it just becomes really ugly so uh, up to this point yeah we still have just that really terrible super mario movie uh, but we do have Detective Pikachu, so there's a win there. Yeah, that's 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 a fair point. Although I would argue that the the, the Pokemon TV show probably came out first, so I don't know if I necessarily constitute that as a <laughs> as a full video game. But because Pokemon Stadium and the actual games were out too on Game Boys, uh, yeah, we'll give it a half point. But you know, you brought up Netflix, and I think that's a great point because maybe the right way to handle video games on film or on screen, pardon me, is to just make them into prolonged TV shows because the success of The Witcher seems yeah. to be working, and most fans who have played The Witcher video games uh, can all pretty much agree there seems to be a consensus that the show is doing a pretty good job. Yeah, and they, I, I think uh, it's also part of its downfall for, for new viewers to jump into it because uh, The Witcher, uh, as a show, is so rich in, its, uh, in, in its, its history that it's already established by the time that show starts, so you're almost playing catch up for a lot of that series unless you're kind of in the know uh and i think that's smart because uh it it shows a reverence for the source material it shows that they care about what story that they're going to put on screen and that they care about Geralt as a character and a video game character that players love we have this one text message in our inbox from London uh, at 877-399-9898 of, uh, regarding the conversation uh, of video games uh, turned into movies. What do you guys think about Borderlands and the recent casting of Kevin Hart? Uh, that was a question from London. I'll also add in Jack Black was confirmed to be joining mm-hmm. that show. So all they need is The Rock and you've got Jumanji Part 3. <laughs> Well, and they also, I mean, for me, uh, the, the piling up of, of characters I, I find really interesting because they have also have Jamie Lee Curtis in there. Uh, and, I mean, I, I'm a big Halloween fan and everything. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, yes, put her in more genre movies. Uh, my trepidation here comes with uh, the fact that Eli Roth is making this one, who can either make this movie really entertaining or... Uh, like Death Wish was, and, and it would just be awful. <laughs> right. But uh, we also have to uh, recognize that we have uh, the Academy Award-winning goddess Kate Blanchett doing some uh, genre work here. And if uh, anybody's seen Thor Ragnarok, we know that she loves to have fun. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I really liked her work in Elizabeth as well. Of course, Elizabeth isn't a video game character, but uh, you know, when you talk about her acting performance and her ability on the stage, certainly she she adds a level of credibility to that pr- production. So I'm watching that whole production and who's going to be cast and what's coming out with Borderlands with uh, some curiosity. But Steve, when it comes to this upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, where do you sit based on the trailer that we got this week? Are you hyped up for it? Do you think it's going to match? what your expectations are going to be or are you keeping the bar set low just in case uh i am i'm on the hype train john uh it's 
it's that it's that hard R rating. It's it's the fact that we're not getting babied with mm. uh, Mortal Kombat again. That we're gonna actually going to go full blown fatalities, all this kind of stuff. I mean, just to totally geek out for a second. Sub-Zero stabs somebody with a blood blade. <laughs> Trucker Dan texted about that, actually. He made a comment about it's that so exact cool. movement, uh, moment, rather. And, and yeah, like I, I, I got I to gotta say, Hiroyuki Sanada, uh, just a yes. fantastic actor. Him being cast as Scorpion alone has me, honestly, a little bit a little bit hyped up. And, and I say that so nervously because, again, it's a video game movie and I don't want to hurt myself. Well, and let's not, uh, let's, we have to talk about the counterpart to that because Sub Zero is played by Joe Taslam, mm-hmm. who is one of the coolest martial arts uh, actors uh, today. If, you have, if, if listeners out there have not seen the Raid movies, watch the Raid Redemption right now or go on Netflix and watch The Night Comes for Us right now <laughs> and you will know exactly who Joe Taslam is exactly in the right time because this guy is going to become like a star I, I honestly if this movie is awesome he could become huge oh I, I love that so we got a bit of homework assignment from steve stabbing and steve uh, finally before we let you go is there one video game or franchise you would love to see turned into a movie or a tv show i'll let you uh, sort of pick around here uh i'm gonna i'm gonna name one that's uh, actually coming up uh and it, they're doing they're finishing all the casting right now is a tv show version of it it's hbo craig mason's doing it who did chernobyl it's the last of us i love ah. this video it's such a great game so emotionally charged uh and and i i can't wait to see what they're going to do with this as a series yeah the two video games have been out now for a little while uh no spoilers i'm not going to give anything away but definitely a compelling storyline for my pick Metal Gear Solid. Give oh, me oh, yes. some Metal Gear Solid. I know the story is so convoluted, but uh, if there's if there's any hope to turn that into a TV show, I would be all over it. It's in development right now, John. Uh, a director Ooh. named Jordan Vote Roberts has the rights, and he is heavily active on it. Even David Hayter is involved. Yes, in the voice of, yes, of Solid Snake. And and that's the thing too. Like if you have voice actors who have played these characters for years and years and years, you have to get them involved into the actual mm-hmm. production, even if they're not exactly. like fully playing the character because, you know, maybe physically they just can't do it anymore. You still got to get them involved because that's what, yeah. again, that's what the diehard gamer fans would love to see. The man is older now, but he would make a really cool revolver ocelot now. Oh, I'm into that. I'm into that a lot. <laughs> Steve, appreciate you joining us and breaking All down right. why video game films just never seem to work out. Thank you, buddy. No problem. This is the Shift Podcast. Let's get into it. It's the Big Jang Theory. Right or wrong, big or small, John Jang has a take on it all. This is the Big Jang Theory. So here we are, another NHL season and another outdoor game. And, oh, yawn, 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 yawn. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel bored by the whole notion of millionaire athletes being given a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that we would never be able to live out ourselves playing in beautiful, unreal, serene locations like Madison Square Garden, like BC Place converted into a hockey rink when rain is falling down here in the Vancouver skies. It just doesn't work on me anymore. And maybe this is me as a jaded 30-year-old adult whose dreams of becoming Coming an NHL player one day, uh, well, they were never actually there. Uh, my athletic ability is questionable at best. However, I am a hockey fan, and there was a point in my life where I used to get genuinely excited about the idea of watching these hockey players play in conditions that we're not used to seeing them in. But then something happened, and that is these outdoor games kept happening again and again. And again, it's almost like at this point, they are just bashing us over the head with these promotional opportunities, these marketing strategies employed by the NHL to try and appeal to a broader, more new, younger, perhaps excited market to come and love the NHL, to come and love the game of hockey. And so this weekend in Lake Tahoe, The Vegas Golden Knights will be playing the Colorado Avalanche. It is getting so much hype by the NHL on their social media page. They actually have been putting out these promotional videos. Take a listen now. Lake Tahoe. Sitting 6,225 feet 
Its body of natural fresh water spans two U.S. states. This magnificent landscape is home to an abundant and vibrant community of wildlife. While some have called it home for centuries, others are about to arrive. This may be their first venture into this habitat, but they are no strangers to the great outdoors. In fact, for many of them, this pilgrimage will symbolize a return to their roots, even more so than outdoor competitions of days past. And while the atmosphere may appear peaceful, deprived of thousands of cheering fans, hockey players love to play the game, no matter where it takes them. Like, come on. Are you kidding me? I didn't edit that audio whatsoever. I let it play in its entirety so you can hear how overplayed this really is turning out to be. Like, based on the music of that little promo video alone, you would think this is like the new redone version of Lord of the Rings. This would be an adventure akin to Frodo trying to get that one ring into the fiery pits of Mount Doom. Instead, it's a hockey game outside on a lake which may or may not actually be frozen so they instead have an artificial hockey rink constructed on a golf course next to the lake in fact this is getting so overblown that american news stations are even picking up on this here's a report courtesy of kcra3 news and this is just too much for kids who grow up in Tahoe, hockey is just as much a part of winter life as skiing. I've been based my life around hockey. You know, winter, I don't do any other sports pretty much besides skiing on the weekdays and then hockey on weekends. This year has been tough for Blaze Broadhurst, who started playing when he was six years old, but has only practiced lately. Now news that the NHL is coming to his home turf for two games has the whole hockey community really excited. Especially in light of the pandemic and nobody's had anything to really look forward to. So we're so excited. The area is actually right here in front of us that um, really just faces the lake. The games will be played on a temporary ice rink at Edgewood Scenic 18th Fairway. No stranger to major sporting events, Edgewood has hosted the American Century Golf Tournament for three decades, but this is like nothing they've done before. We're told construction will begin out here on February 8th and puck drops on the first game February 20th. That's just under two weeks to set up a regulation NHL rink on top of a golf course. Uh, we will have to do some decking and things to, to level the, the course, if you will, where, where the rink is going to be. Uh, to do some leveling, and then we do have a lot of refrigeration equipment that we have to bring in. NHL officials say while this isn't the first outdoor game for the NHL, it is the first without spectators, an element they say will take players back to the roots of the game and a childhood not unlike Blaze Broadhurst's. All the players themselves, I mean, they grew up living in homes and just picking up their sticks and running out with their skates and playing on ponds. A game many in Tahoe and at Edgewood hope will come back to their town again. What an amazing opportunity for this community to be nationally recognized with NHL here. So, you know, events in the future, we would welcome it with open arms. In South Lake Tahoe, Kristen Samos, KCRA 3 News. Wow. Okay. So it's become such a story now that like the local news stations down there in and around Lake Tahoe have obviously picked up on the story. There's so much excitement for it over the weekend here and look if the nhl is going to do these big outdoor games each and every year i feel like there is still a missed opportunity now i will say lake tahoe is a little bit what i would say remote like it's not a big busy metropolitan area it's kind of nestled between nevada and california it's it's 
I think it works. I think it's fine. And there's nothing against Lake Tahoe from me personally. What I would love to see, though, are more outdoor games in remote communities across Canada. Yeah, like, you know, we've seen the ones in Edmonton. We've seen the ones in Montreal. We've seen the ones in Vancouver. Give me an outdoor game in Whitehorse in the Yukon. Give me an outdoor game in the Maritimes, right? I mean, Sidney Crosby, the, Sid the Kid. Nathan McKinnon, let's go to their hometowns. Let's go and celebrate hockey players from areas where we just don't get to see a lot of professional hockey being played anymore. That's what I would love to see if the NHL is going to continue with this boring, boring, now I guess it's an annual tradition of outdoor hockey games. Right or wrong, big or small, John Jang has a take on it all. This is The Big Jang Theory. Now, obviously, you know, it, it's not like it's the biggest news story in the world. It's not the most serious, you know, news story. Serious? That's not a word. It's not the most serious news story in the world. But there's just something about this whole outdoor game stuff that it, it just it bothers me. I don't know. It bugs me. And like I said, maybe I'm jaded. I'm 30 years old now. Uh, I, I, this this is maybe it. Like I, I've peaked already in my life and now the slow downward trend into miserable old man begins from this point on. And maybe I'd feel different if I had kids, right? Like maybe if I had a little one that was so excited that they go to bed early tonight just so they can get ready to watch these games tomorrow and on Sunday, I would get behind it a little bit more. But I don't, so I can't, and I don't apologize for it. It's the Shift Podcast. Continuing this conversation regarding the federal assault rifle buyback program that was announced and uh, launched with the whole bans proposed across uh, Canada, the whole bunch of debates and discussions happening. Uh, earlier, we just heard the conversation from Mike Smith uh, and talking about uh, this whole program and all the details that came out of this program. Uh, this conversation took place on 980 CKW earlier today in Vancouver. Your thoughts as to what this program might mean for you and if you think it's going to work, if you think it's actually going to help Canadians, as in the innocent bystanders, everyday citizens, not the criminals. We got this one great text earlier in the program tonight from Sam at 877-399-9898, and I'm going to read it out in its entirety. Quote, a few things I wanted to point out with the, uh, the Liberals' firearm ban and buyback program. Number one, the majority of gun crimes are uh, use uh, illegally obtained firearms, which are mainly coming in from the United States, according to what can be traced. The RCMP, for example, claims roughly about 90%. Number two, the ban and buyback only targets law-abiding citizens, as no criminal is obviously going to turn in a firearm. Number three. If this was really something to target criminals and make our cities and communities safer, why did the Liberals recently vote against tougher sentences for smugglers bringing in those firearms into Canada? Number four, the Liberals also recently voted to reduce minimum sentences for gun crimes. And number five, the Liberals keep saying that women are scared of firearms and gender-based violence is another reason for this particular ban. However, my wife, who, by the way, owns two AR-15s, and her women's shooting league disagree. In fact, they encourage more women to come out to learn and enjoy the sport. In my opinion, all of this is simply pandering for votes and trying to drive a wedge in our country. Just my two cents as a law-abiding, RCMP-vetted firearms owner in Canada who, to keep his license goes through daily CPIC checks, name one criminal who would be willing to do that. And I think that is such a strong response because it's well articulated. It's bringing facts into the conversation. It's not just emotional response, but I think all of it are solid points. Now, for context and for transparency, I am not a gun owner. Um, actually, I've never even fired a firearm. The closest would be the laser tag story that I shared uh, to Leo just a few, uh, I guess, an hour ago or so on the show here tonight. I've never shot a gun. That being said, I have no reasons to believe that if you are legally obtaining a firearm here in this country, that it should be taken away from you. I happen to know based on conversation with friends who are gun owners and are responsible gun owners, that the process in order to actually acquire a firearm legally is an extremely difficult process. There is a lot of checks. There is a lot of processes that need to be taken care of in order for any Canadian citizen to rightfully and legally own a firearm in this country. 
So I feel the system that's currently in place does a significant job already in preventing criminals from getting those firearms. And I absolutely agree that the majority of criminals who are, you know, shooting others, uh, gang war violence, uh, doing drive-by shootings, whatever it seems to be, they're not obtaining their guns legally. 100% they are getting it from illegal and illicit sources. So this feels like a pandering move to me as well. I think Sam did such a good job summarizing all the things that I was feeling. And I think the timing matters when it comes to this particular story. I think the timing matters simply because the liberal federal government, they're feeling the pressure these days. They're feeling a lot of heat from those (laughs) from coast to coast to coast who are demanding the liberal government to be more responsible for how the COVID-19 vaccine rollouts have been delayed, how the country, based on my last check, is 52nd in the world when it comes to the number of COVID-19 vaccines that have been given to this particular country by population. It, It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense why a country like Canada is lagging so significantly behind a lot of other developed and established nations, especially when you look at the population of Israel and how they've managed to uh, successfully vaccinate a massive portion of their entire population. So it seems like an easy way for the government to just throw in a smokescreen and get some people, maybe like me, on this show here tonight, maybe I'm falling right into their, their trap, into their ploy, getting to talk about this so that we're not talking about the other thing. We're not talking about the greater story, if you will, at hand. We're, we're debating about gun ownership and this whole buyback program, and, and which I think is so bizarre. Like if you truly genuinely know for a fact that criminals are using legally purchased firearms in order to kill innocent civilians, show us that data. Share with us where and how you're obtaining this information. More transparency would allow us to at least observe this particular proposal with a little bit more, I don't know, honesty, with a little bit more understanding. I feel like they don't share this information because it doesn't exist. I mean, if the RCMP is claiming that roughly about 90% of all illegally um, uh, obtained weapons are coming in through the borders and primarily through the United States, then this buyback program won't stop that. People that do purchase firearms for the uh, purpose of self-defense, for the purpose of sporting, for the purpose of a whole variety of things, they can tell you themselves that the process in which they obtained that, uh, that firearm and the license to carry that firearm was no easy matter. And because of it, owners like Sam obviously have done their homework and they're diligent about this topic because they feel like, hey, I'm responsible and you're hurting the people that have tried their hardest to make sure that legal, responsible gun ownership is being handled the right way. Again, I don't own a gun. I have nothing against you if you want to own a gun. I would like to go to a shooting range one day and you know, feel cool, maybe squeezing off a few shots. I don't know. It's never happened where I've had such an opportunity just fall into my lap like that. But uh, if you own a gun and you're responsible about it and you've done it legally, hey, all the power to you. You did it responsibly. And I hope that you can be trusted with that. But to now just make a blanket proposal like this and taking that away from Canadians, I don't know. To me, like Sam was saying, feels like it's a pandering for votes. Because there will be some people out there who look at this and, of course, uh, maybe just assume, well, all guns are bad. I guess my point on this is similarly, whenever we hear a story about like a Rottweiler or a big dog, like a, like a, uh, you know, like a pit bull that attacks somebody. And all of a sudden, the great debate that never goes away, well, are all pit bulls bad? No, there's no such thing as a bad pet. There's only bad pet owners. It's the same principle here to me. There's no such thing as a bad gun. It's the person behind it that matters. And yet, when it comes to this proposal, that apparently doesn't matter. All guns are bad. All bullets are bad. Hmm. 
877-399-9898. Got this one text saying, uh, so last week, the liberals come out with new gun laws, regulations, and rules that will make legal gun owners criminals. This week, they come out with changes to existing gun laws and regulations that will make gun crimes committed by criminals legal. Be prepared for even more deaths by criminals with guns. I hope that is not the case. I hope we move towards a more safer community. And if people feel safer owning guns and doing it responsibly, like you're not just going into your backyard and firing off random shots, obviously that's not okay. Never heard of things like that happening in, you know, around Vancouver where I've lived and I've been here for pretty much my whole life. So again, it's the person behind the trigger that matters most. Got this one from Trucker Dan. The high-powered flashlight that I use for inspecting my truck has a pistol grip. Is that going to be banned next? Yeah, I think that's a fair concern. I mean, if, if it shares a pistol handle, I don't know, man. Government's coming for you. Maybe you want to be careful. Leo, you had a thought you, you wanted to share, no? Uh, uh, no, no I, I think I was actually just uh, telling you inside stuff here. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, was just saying, <laughs> I, mis- I misunderstood the, uh, the yeah. hand signal that you were trying to give to me. Okay. My apologies. Next time I'll be clear. No, no, no. <laughs> that's okay. That's my part. You know, like the, the, the closest thing I have to a gun in my home is actually a drill. <laughs> like I have a drill. I, I picked it up. I remember this exact moment. I was living in Cranbrook one summer and I went down to Canadian Tire because I was trying to assemble uh, like, a, like a desk, like a computer desk, whatever it was. And my... My uh, actual screwdriver, the one you just use with your hand, it just wasn't working. So I was like, okay, screw it. I need to punch a hole into something here because I need, I need a drill. Didn't have one. Went and drove down to Canadian Tire. was looking around. I'm like, ooh, this drill looks kind of cool because it has like this gun handle and you can like pull it back so that you can change the drill, pit, uh, drill pieces and bits, whatever the correct jargon is. And uh, it, it lights up with a little flashlight whenever you pull the quote unquote trigger. It's a drill. It's the closest thing I have to a gun. Might be the closest thing I'll ever have to a gun. 877-399-9898. Uh, we got this one from the Rhino and Langley saying they need to ban idiots, not firearms. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to sort of summarize all these points here. Uh, Jordy saying the only reason for a firearm to kill is whether it's used for hunting or otherwise along those lines. I totally agree with you. And I know many hunters who are passionate about this. And, and guess what? There are times when the government is encouraging hunters to get out there and cull animals, whether it's elk or other wild animals that are uh, just the population's getting out of control and it's actually damaging the environment. Like these things happen too where the government's like, oh, you got a gun? You've done it legally? You're responsible? Great, get out there and help us out with this culling. So again, it's like double speak from the government. I'm not a big fan of it. Again, I don't own a gun. Probably will never own a gun. Never even shot a gun. But if you've owned it, if you have one, and you got it done legally, responsibly, and all these things, all the power to you. 877-399-9898. Let's get a quick call in here and connect with Anthony out in Toronto. Anthony, thanks for the call, and welcome to The Shift. Hey, how's it going? Second time caller. Right on. Thank you for that, Anthony. I've been been texting you guys all the time. Awesome. You know what? I'm just hearing about these gun control laws, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and then, like, Last week, they're telling everybody, yeah, we're going to ban these guns, ban those guns. This week, it's like, oh, we're going to forgive all these people. Mm. Right? I'm, I mean, I've been on both sides. I grew up in a rough part of Toronto. Right. Where I had illegal guns. Now I'm a legal gun owner. Right. And, right? and, and Anthony, you know, since you're a legal gun owner, take us through, like, how difficult was that process in order to get fully vetted and making sure that you're going to be responsible whenever you do get a gun? It's 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 not easy. It's right. not easy to, like I mean, a lot of my family members are legal gun owners, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not it's not only owning the gun; it's storing your gun. Like yep. I mean, we have three gun safes. Every gun is locked. That's right, and right? you have to keep like, the magazine separate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and limited. Like it's every single one of our guns in our house are locked mm-hmm. with a trigger lock. Our animals are in different in different states. It's like you're punishing legal gun owners that are having fun. We go out in the farm in Barrie, and yeah. we we do a little target shooting, right? Like who's 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 sitting here and all these gangbangers 
shooting up the block in Toronto. Right. And then they're worrying about them being in jail, and they're not worried. Nobody's worrying about the community and what they're doing to their community. Yeah, I, right? I hear and, you. I hear you. I mean, like you know, you know what I would support, and and I'm sure this is already illegal, but like illegal weapons modifications, where if you have a semi-automatic AR-15, uh, obviously you know keep it a semi-automatic. Don't put some custom bumper stock on it to make it some kind of automatic weapon by default of that particular mod. Right? We want to make sure that these weapons are legal and vetted, and the owners are responsible about it. But those those weapons are already illegal in, in Canada. Right. Like, that, yeah, yeah, the fully gonna, automatics are all illegal. You're right. Like I can take you to the I could take you to a block in Toronto and I can get you anything you want. Hmm. Like it's like I don't know what they're thinking by banning guns. You're not it it's it's a joke. Yeah. And and then next thing you know they're saying, Oh yeah, well we gotta well, we gotta forgive these people for using a gun. Hmm. Right? They're holding people, communities hostage being bullies and like one minute it's like it's a joke like they can't make up their mind on what they're doing and it's like i don't know i like it's like the world turned upside down right fair what do you like yeah no, I, I get it, man. I, I get it. I, like, like I said, I don't own a gun, but if you own one and you're responsible, you went through the whole vetting process, hey, I got nothing against that because you did it by the letter of the law and clearly you're still holding on to it, which means you're doing it right. You know what? It's not only that I, like, I grew up in an area where I watched somebody get killed. Like mm-hmm. two weeks ago, down the road from my mom, a 14-year-old got shot oh. because he didn't know how to handle guns. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry so about that. I, I learned, no, but I mean, it happens all the time, and yeah. nobody's doing anything with that. Like, learn how to handle guns. Guns are dangerous. Mm. It's learn how to handle them. Treat them like a tool, like what they are. Yeah. Right. They're yeah. not a. They're not a weapon. It's a tool. And, right? and 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 one more thing too. Like we're, we're we're not the United States of America where gun ownership is massive across the population of Canada. It, it's a it's a pretty small select group of Canadians who have one of these licenses. Right. So it it again it's it's targeting very specific people in this country, uh, which is never really the right thing to do because again these are law abiding citizens most of them. Anthony, appreciate you giving yeah. us a call here tonight. Uh, thank you so much for this. Thank you very much, and it's a joy listening to you guys. You guys make my trip from Kingston to Mississauga a joy every night. <laughs> well, right? uh, that, that's, that's awesome. Glad to hear it. Drive safely and uh, be well, my friend. All right. Have a great weekend. Cheers. You as well. That's, uh, that's Anthony out in Toronto. Uh, I think we got time for one more quick call here. Let's connect with Catherine out in Surrey. Hey, Catherine. Welcome to The Shift. Oh, hi. I want to bring a very important point. Um, if they want to make houses safer for mm. women also um, in domestic violence, they need to, if they're going to come with the SWAT team and take away their guns, mm-hmm. um, they also need to take away their crossbows and their hunting knives. Mm. Right. I, I, I mean, I, I see your point. Like, if you're going to ban a particular type of weapon, then why not just go the full distance and ban all weapons? Well, if- I'm I'm coming at a different angle Mm. because it's personal. Fair enough. And they come, you know, to protect the wives, you know, being victimized by their husbands, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. Domestic violence. And that's the thing, too. Domestic violence is uh, obviously it can be closely related to uh, gun violence. And in some examples, I do know that it's factual. There are certain cases of domestic violence where uh, a husband or a wife will shoot their partner with a legally obtained firearm. But I think in that case, we have to look closer at the issues with that particular case of domestic violence. I mean, yes, the method in which the person was murdered or killed uh, uses a legally obtained firearm. But... You know, if a knife was just as conveniently nearby, maybe it would have been a knife. Maybe it would have been a sledgehammer. A it's tough to bat, say it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate that. That's Catherine out in Surrey. This is the Shift Podcast. For now, let's bring in our good friend. His name is Roberto. You know what Roberto would love to see? Guitar Hero. Made into a movie. I'm not sure what that would be about, but there you go. Are you okay with joking about COVID-19? Oh, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a look. Look, I, 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 came, I come from a culture where people make jokes about everything, including their own tragedies. 
But I I I don't know where I'm standing, especially like in a week like this one. That mm-hmm. two people that I actually knew, uh, yeah, died like two. Oh, like I'm so two sorry annoying. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hadn't seen them in years because now I've been living here in Canada. But still, uh, so I don't know, man. I, I think it's it's been too. I think it's it's been too long. <laughs> <laughs> this pandemic and uh you're not ready for it i yeah i i guess i i guess at first i was and now i kind of uh, change my yeah my my stand on that like i've yeah just not you know it's been too long and too much happening and i yeah i'm not okay with that anymore well like i said leo i'm, I'm terribly sorry to hear about that uh, obviously you know COVID 19 is it's impacting um, the entire world. You know, I, I think we need to understand. And sometimes we get so focused about what's happening in our own community, in our own province, in our own country. Uh, we maybe don't take a close look at what this virus, what this pandemic is doing uh, globally. And uh, certainly many, many people have already died to this pandemic. Uh, plenty of people still very sick, more people getting sick uh, every day. I mean, the numbers, uh, at least here on the West Coast, have improved since what we saw a couple of months ago, but still, we're not out of the, the danger zone just yet. Are you okay with joking about COVID-19? I bring this up because of this clip. There was a surprise announcement from Apple today, too. Good afternoon. COVID-19 was a huge leap forward in the pandemic industry, and I am so excited to unveil what's up next. Introducing COVID-20. COVID-20 is more transmissible than COVID-19 in every way. COVID-20 can be contracted by touching, moving, blinking, breathing, having impure thoughts, smiling too hard, and my personal favorite, showing fear. Now, while we're still working out the symptoms, rest assured that COVID-20 will kill your parents faster than any virus you've ever seen. And for larger COVID lovers, we are thrilled to introduce COVID-20+. Pizza, pasta, cupcakes, beef. COVID-20 Plus lives in everything you eat, delivering the most delicious virus experience yet. As as long as we don't have to pay for a new charger, I'm... So that was Jimmy Kimmel and uh, just joking about COVID-19, you know, upgrading as an Apple announcement into COVID-20. Truth be told, I don't know when exactly this particular clip and joke aired on Jimmy Kimmel's show. Uh, I couldn't tell you if it was recently this week or if it was, you know, six months ago. But I think the question still applies. Are you okay making jokes about covid uh, whether it's 19, 20, 21, it doesn't really matter. We're talking about the same virus here. And I, I don't know that we are. And so if, if this was a recent joke made by Jimmy on his show, uh, I, I, I still think it's tasteless. And, you know, maybe there is some truth about humor being able to unite people during times of great challenge, uh, emotional distress and things of that nature. But it feels too early. It feels too soon. I mean, the United States, they're getting a ton of vaccines in terms of deliveries and they're administrating as much as they can. But we know the situation in the United States still hasn't been to the level where everyone feels comfortable going back to normal behaviors and normal life again. And joking about it, just is it's tasteless to me. I don't know when we're going to be able to joke about it. I couldn't I couldn't tell you. I don't know if there's a way of being able to provide some sort of timeline for this sort of thing, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about something that is impacting and taking lives every single day. And while some comedians get away with being known as, you know, pushing the pushing the barriers a little bit or or going over the line every now and then, this felt wrong to me and it didn't sit well with me. So, Leo, you know, I totally understand where you're coming from because, uh, you know, personally, you've been impacted by it. Like people, you know, have literally lost their lives and uh, not 
Not all of us get to have that painful experience, that painful personal connection. But there's also a lot of people who are in your situation that have lost a grandparent or, uh, you know, somebody in their family, a close friend, whatever. So it, it just seems like if comics are trying to get that extra guffaw, that extra laugh, you need to find better source material because this seems tasteless, classless, and uh, it, like I said, it, it just didn't sit right with me. Uh, let's bring in Roberto again. Yes, Roberto. You know, Roberto, always serious, never jokes around, very serious about it, loving guitar. Are you okay with teaching kids how to fight in hockey? Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say with that. That's probably a, a, a question for you <laughs> more than for me here. Like I, I didn't experience hockey in my childhood in my youth so i don't know uh like personally i watch like you a lot of hockey it's usually i don't know it's i know it's a big part of entertainment most fans enjoy and mm. like it i just i usually when, when they're fighting i just do another stuff like that's when i go check my phone i don't care like they're gonna scramble gonna sit in the box afterwards it's like, whatever so yeah, as for kids, so I don't care on the, on the professional level. So I guess if I stay coherent, I wouldn't care in kids' level either. So that's my personal. Well, uh, again, you and I were not parents, right? Uh, I, I think we both enjoy hockey. You're a Flames fan. I'm a Canucks fan. Uh, we're both 30. So we both grew up watching hockey sort of change over the past number of years. We know fighting has been on the down uh, in the NHL consistently over the past number of years, like the total amount of fights every single season continues to go lower and lower and lower. I grew up when I was younger and I enjoyed fighting, right? Because it adds like this raw, physical, brutal, um, almost like primal instinct to the game that you can't find. And it's not done in football or soccer or baseball or basketball. It's the only pro sport where fighting is actually allowed and part of this unwritten code. But kids... And we're not talking about like 15 and 16-year-olds. We're talking about maybe six or seven years old at like the highest age group that we're talking about. And I, I, I hate to do this because it's, it's, it's a very disturbing video, but it's, this is happening in Russia. I'll, I'll play this clip and then I'll explain what the context after. <laughs> So obviously the audio doesn't give the full context of what's happening, but this is a this is a video that's now circling and going viral on Twitter. Uh, apparently, it's a Russian hockey training academy of some sort or source, uh, some kind of uh, training program. And in the video, uh, there are, are multiple children. Like I said, I'm assuming they're around six or seven years of age. They are pretty small kids. They're wearing some hockey gear, not all of it. And they're in a room and they're taking turns punching each other in the mask. And the Russian voice that you're hearing of the man, the instructor or coach, whatever it is, he's critiquing their punching skills and how they're positioning themselves to take and absorb the punch or how to punch properly with a bit more force. It is vile. It's disgusting. It's wrong because of these kids and their age. So every time you hear like a little, uh, smacking sound that's the sound of one of these kids getting hit in the face uh, from the player across from him so take a listen again so those smacking sounds are not just weird audio flashes they are in literal context some some kids uh, gloved fist punching another kid in the face. Now, thankfully, they've got the full mask, the full cages on, so it's not like they're actually punching them directly in the face. But the point still stands, this is not okay. And I don't know why this would ever be taught to kids as young as this at a hockey training club or some sort of academy in Russia. Maybe this is the way they want their players to play. It is sickening. 
Again, growing up with like Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em Hockey, of course, there's a lot of people and an entire generation that have grown up expecting that hockey is going to bring some level of physical intensity and battles and fights. But I never think that it's okay to be teaching how to fight in hockey if you're six or seven years old. Entirely distressing. Uh, if you don't want to watch the video, I, I suggest you don't even look for it. Know that it does exist. Uh, a lot of hockey people have already condemned the video for existing in the first place. The need for this is completely irrational. So I, I want to bring this up because it's apparently happening in, in some parts of the world. Um, a lot of reaction on the text message inbox. We'll get to your reaction on the other side, actually. We're, we're up against the clock here. But some some disturbing things on tonight's episode of Are You Okay? I, I know it, we usually try to keep it light, fun, and funny. But, uh, you know, things are happening in the world and we can't just turn a blind eye. It's the Shift Podcast. Without further ado, let us, uh, let's get into it. Learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo. Hola, shift heads. It's time to learn Portuguese with Leonardo. Easily the classiest segment that we have on this show each and every weekend. 877-399-9898. You let us know if you got any requests or if you just want to make fun of me and my attempts to learn Portuguese this week. And, uh... You know, I got to say, there's a lot of pressure on this show, Leo, because earlier this week we had a big meeting uh, as a as like a radio station uh, here in Vancouver. And uh, we we talked about your appearance on ESPN, thanks to your friend who's the play by play voice of uh, ESPN uh, in Brazil. And then I quickly promoted the fact that we teach Portuguese on the show here every weekend. So the pressure's on, my friend. Yes, it is it on uh, the station said an email to all the staff like hey there's and uh, our executive director said he said that hey and, and also on top of that on every Friday there is learning Portuguese with Leo and John Jane. That's right. So so everybody knows now. now the whole no company. Excuse. The whole company's listening here. <laughs> exactly. So let's let's bring our A game here. All right, today's uh, first lesson, if you will, sir. Happy birthday and that's because we had a couple of friends who celebrated their birthday today so how do we get through this one this one should be nice and easy oh, right? yeah so to Corey and valentina feliz aniversario feliz aniversario yeah ah, feliz <laughs> aniversario ah, there you go, John okay Clark. straight hey, yeah, add, add a bit of flair there so yeah. feliz yes. aniversario yeah Oh man, I like that. And again, yeah, do, I, do, I, uh, now you need to to learn how to sing "Happy Birthday to You" in nope, Portuguese. <laughs> no, nope, that ain't happening. I always sound Italian whenever I try to speak Portuguese, but uh, I digress. And now uh, another big story on the show here tonight is that Leo successfully delivered flowers to a special somebody, and uh, so I, I want to know how to say in Portuguese. Ooh, ah, these flowers smell good. Ice flores shade of me. Uh, hold on. So as as flores, flores that's flowers. Yeah, as flores, as she, flores, shadow bam, shadow bam. Yeah, bam, bam. Yeah, as flores, shadow bam. Okay. Yeah. So so maybe if and I know your friend who you delivered the flowers to actually prefers Spanish, but if she spoke Portuguese earlier today when you dropped off that bouquet, she would have been like. Ah, Leo, Leo, as Flores, shut him, bam. I guess I, could te- I guess I can teach her. But, uh, <laughs> sure, yeah, so. There you go. Oh, maybe she's learning right now. Yeah. Oh, is she listening? I think so. Okay. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Okay. Maybe right. she falls asleep by now. I don't know. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. I mean, hey, you can always send her the podcast link. Yes. There's always the podcast. Yeah. There's always the clips. Yeah. That's yeah. a that's a shameless plug at the fact that we have a plot podcast. So if you haven't uh, subscribed, go and do it. You can yep. stay on top of what happens here on the weekend edition of, of the show. And, of course, what Shane and Ryan and Matt are up to exactly. uh, for the rest of the week. We're right. on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're on TuneIn. And we're on our site, too, on Global News. That's right. Okay, moving on. Since we had a great conversation with Steve Stebbing earlier tonight on the show as well, we were talking about our excitement for the Mortal Kombat movie and just ge- in general, like why do uh, video games that get turned into movies, why do they always suck? Right. Let's be honest. They do tend to suck. But if I told you like Mortal Kombat, what's the most iconic line from Mortal Kombat? 
Like, as the video game. Get over here! Exactly. <laughs> it's Scorpion. That annoying hook move where he pulls your character from, like, halfway across the screen and, uh, you know, kind of stuns you because I guess it's some sort of a chain that rips through your neck. I don't know. It's a video game. So, get over here! In Portuguese. If Scorpion was Brazilian. Okay, well, there's... There's the formal way that you can learn just by curiosity. Now we're going to say that in spoken word, which is vem aqui or vem acá. Two ways to say Ven aqui. Or vem aqui or vem acá. Okay. Uh, and the informal way, because you don't say the second syllable, the nha. You don't say the nha. You don't say nha. Yeah, so you just say vem aqui, <laughs> vem cá, vem aqui or vem, or, or vem cá. Vem aqui, vem cá. Vem aqui, vem aqui. Oh, vem aqui, vem cá. So you would say, if you want to do in the Scorpion's yeah. rhythm, when you say, get over here, you say, vem aqui, vem aqui. I got to say, that's not as threatening. Yeah. Like, it sounds spookier when he's saying, get over here. Like, vem aqui, vem aqui. Yeah, it's not, it's not as good. You know, like, yeah, some languages have more flag. Yeah, yeah. Okay, how about this then? Because another iconic line from Mortal Kombat is like, fatality. I guess it's just... Fatalidade. Whoa. That's oh, how okay, you say Fat... Fatalidade. Fatalidade. Yes, that's fatality. I fatality. feel like I'm saying fat alley daddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the whole word is a fatalidade. So, fatalidade. Fatalidade. Yes, there you Ooh, go. Okay, you that got the, sounds a little cool. Yeah, cooler. you got the, the right stress syllable, which is the da. Fatalidade. Fatalidade. Yes. Okay, yeah. all right. 877-399-9898. Uh, let's get into some of these requests. Uh, this one from Catherine in Surrey, who, by the way, uh, missed the fact that you were on TV. He wasn't literally like in front of the screen, but he got a shout-out on ESPN Brazil because he is good friends with the play-by-play broadcaster, and uh, that broadcaster happened to give Leo a nice little shout-out and basically went through his entire Tinder profile bio and uh, sort of explained about all the things that Leo likes, like long walks on the beach, the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Yankees, and Billy Joel. Yeah, he went over for like three and a half minutes on national TV talking about me, which was pretty overwhelming. But big shout-outs to Homo Mendonça Kudos. He's the main play-by-play guy on ESPN. There you go. All right. Uh, so this request from Catherine as we're continuing this educational lesson in Portuguese with Uncle Leo Jimmy should be fired ASAP, which I guess we'll summarize as as soon as possible. Jimmy should be fired as soon as possible. This, of course, in reference to Jimmy Kimmel and that very tasteless COVID joke. Which was exactly what I wrote down here for you. So since it's it's quite of a long sentence, I'll go nice and slowly for you. Okay. So Jimmy should be fired ASAP means Jimmy tem que ser demitido O mais rápido possível. I told you it was a long sentence. Whoa. Okay. But if you want to go nice and slow, All Jimmy... Right. Well, let's go part one. Jimmy tem que ser... Jimmy tem que ser... Yes. Jimmy tem que ser... Yeah, that's, that's Jimmy should be. Okay. That's what you have said by now. So the rest, to be fired is... When someone's fired, someone is demitido. Demitido. Yes. And as soon as possible, o mais rápido possível. O mais rápido possível. Rápido, not rápido. 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 Yes, o mais rápido possível. O mais rápido possível. 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 Yes, possível. Okay, so it's a little tricky. Yes. I probably can't do it all in one shot. Yeah, because it's it's a long sentence, so yeah. Jimmy tem que ser demitido o mais rápido possível. Okay, all right. Uh, There there you go. That's one listener request from Catherine and Story, 877-399-9898. We did get this one uh, from Denise, and I, I have to thank Denise because this is a very kind translation request but she says how do you guys uh, how do you say you guys are the best because that's what you are which is vocês heart, heartwarming all that. right vocês são os melhores você 
Vocês, they, you gotta put an S. So Vocês? Yes, because otherwise if you don't put an S, then it's just one person. Ok, Vocês são, são os melhores. Os melhores. 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 Yeah. Não maiores, melhores. Melhores. Yes. Oh, goodness me. Vocês são os melhores. Oh, the pressure is on. And, yeah, uh, you, you can go for that. That's oh. way shorter than the previous sentence. Okay. Come on, John, try it. No, no, no. We'll leave that one at that. Uh, <laughs> I, I take my A's where I can and I never look back. So the one thing I will say is Vemaki. Vemaki. Get over here. Yeah. Dave in Winnipeg, 877-399-9898. He says, hey, guys, one porch goose, two or more Portuguese. It's a joke. I know. You're not laughing. Because <laughs> it's not a good one. What? <laughs> You're insulting David Winnipeg. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, like, uh, my my but the bar to you know to entertain me wow. is higher. Wow, Dave. <laughs> but that's hey, right. Dave, I thought that was all right, man. Leo is clearly not a big fan of the comedic skills. So uh you you take it up with him. Uh, we will give you the information for our human resources department if you'd like to fail, uh, file an official complaint. I'm just joking. But, uh, you know, if Leo says your joke wasn't good enough, well, you know, Dave, I appreciate it. One is a porch goose, two or more Portuguese. Oh, okay, yeah, nice try. <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay, <laughs> a pity right. clap, I'll take it. I'll th- I'm clapping, yeah. There you go, all right. With respect to learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo, uh, Eve in Calgary wrote, I love these language lessons, although I will never remember. And that's okay, because again, we have a podcast where you can listen back and take your time with this. Uh, Denise said, I tried to record what I requested being translated. Uh, it didn't work, unfortunately. I do appreciate the, uh, uh, you know, the attempt. So Denise, I'll also say it too. Check out that podcast. We throw in that Portuguese lesson each time that we get to. Uh, we got one more request before we get out of here. This one from Anthony, 877-399-9898. How do you say in Portuguese, I think Leo is going to get lucky pretty soon? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, so lucky was the missing word. I was looking here like, uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm paraphrasing. Oh, okay. Because what he actually wrote was get some. Oh, okay. And I don't think your poor innocent mind even knows what that means. So okay. you don't actually. I'm going to translate you, your. You don't have to actually translate that. It's okay. The, it's l- okay. the lucky part? Well, I mean, it, okay, if you oh, want to. Yeah, you want to say, well. Said, John said, like, I think reading, I think Leo's gonna get lucky yes, soon. Yes, yes. So that would <laughs> translate to, eu acho que o Leo terá sorte em breve. Eu acho que o terá sorte em breve. You wanna say that? Leo is translating a sentence made for Leo. I love it. Yeah, well, yeah. Do you get the euphemism here? Uh, it's a new film, is it? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, I, get it what he, I get what he's saying. I'm not that stupid. But okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're talking about it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's late night, so we can talk about that. Yeah, right? it's flowers. It's all good. Yeah, it's all, all flowers good. are good. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.